We are completing a series or have completed a series on the foundations of our church as we are looking towards our future. What does God have in store for us as a congregation as we move into this next phase? And I, I really hope that that recent series that we just completed on the foundations has been enlightening and helpful. Um, we are a church that is anchored in the bedrock of God's word. It is our authority in, in all matters of faith and practice. Our heritage and the restoration movement, our history as a congregation in the Estes Valley, our heart for Jesus, our house, the very structure of our pastor elders, our deacons, and our strong belief that every member is a minister. Well, they're all just expressions of our simple New Testament faith in Jesus as both our Lord and our Savior. That is our foundation. We spent the last five weeks inspecting those foundation stones, our heritage, our history, our heart and our structure, our house. And we discovered that our foundation is solid. It's ready to build on. God equipped and enabled us to lay such a solid foundation for a reason. It didn't just happen by accident. It's not as though God is in heaven saying, oh, oops. There is a reason that we are here now, and he has gifted us with something wonderful. He wants us to build this church, his church in the Estes Valley, for his glory and for our good. At the start of that last series, I read these verses from 1 Corinthians 3. It says, this Paul writing here to church, he says, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. See, our foundation is solid. It's been set with skill. And now Paul cautions us that our great foundation doesn't guarantee success. I mean, anyone who builds on that foundation, he says, may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. So as we set down our shovels, as it were, to pick up our hammers, we need to be careful to build this congregation with the same quality and the same skill that we use in setting its foundation. And we could take the easy route, like the first little piggy in that famous story. Right. We could build this church on that wonderful foundation out of straw. After all, straw is easy to work with, it's light, and best of all, it's cheap. If we want a church that doesn't require much of us in terms of sacrifice or commitment or effort, guess what kind of church we're going to build? We will build our church out of straw. Well, it's the easiest thing to do, no doubt. Cheap faith offers us little support against the storms of life. No matter how firm our foundation. A church like this can hardly support itself. It stands while things are easy. 
And therefore, it was unable to protect the weak or defend the oppressed or to comfort the broken or to stabilize the shaken. Things that the church is called to do. A church made out of cheap faith, a church made out of straw, cannot serve as a, as a beacon to the lost because, frankly, that would just cost too much. All it can do is stand as a relic of inexpensive, costless religion until the winds of change or the storms of life slowly dismantle it piece by piece until it collapses. Not only will such costless faith fail, but as Paul warns, on judgment day, the fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. A cheap faith is easy, but someday each one of us will stand before our creator and to give an account for how we invested these lives he's granted us. We know from his word that he will put he put each one of us at the time and the place that he did for a reason. We know from his word that he gifted he gave you a spiritual gift or several for a reason. We know that he's given you abilities and skills and experiences in life for a reason. He has shaped you to minister now. What a shame if all we had to show for all the wealth of blessings he's poured into our lives is a cheap and unsubstantial fellowship in this mountain valley. I mean, thanks to his grace, we wouldn't receive the brunt of his wrath for squandering these great blessings but neither would we receive his praise or his reward. We would enter heaven, as the scripture says, with regret for wasting our opportunity to live our life for the better things. And why? Simply because we deemed them too costly. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not how I want to start my eternity. I mean, despite my weaknesses and all my failings, I want to hear those affirming words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Now, of course, God is righteous. And, and that means he's not going to say that to us unless he means it. And because God is all knowing, he's not going to mean it unless it's actually true. Therefore, it matters how we live now. It matters greatly how we live now. It matters how we invest the time and the gifts and the assets he's blessed us with now. Now, we've got a great foundation. And as Paul points out, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay or straw. So let's build this the church in this mountain valley out of the gold and the silver and the jewels of our lives. Let's invest in it our best so it will endure the storms of life. And so its beauty will serve as a beacon to the lost and to the broken. For the glory of God and for the good of our community. We shall build a, a congregation of extraordinary strength and stability and splendor for the glory of our great God and for the great good of our neighbors in this community. That's what we are called to do, and we'll do it. Of course, a church like that doesn't come cheaply. It's going to cost us. 
it's going to cost us dearly. We're going to have to say no to many good things in order to be able to afford to say yes to the best things. And truth is, we all know this, life is full of a lot of really good things. There's a lot of really good things out there that we can invest our time in and our talents in and our treasures in. There are many good causes that we can give our hearts to, aren't there? There are many good events that we can schedule our lives around. And as good as as those things are, when we take a step back, when we zoom out, we realize that all those great things, they don't hold a candle to the wonderful things that God has in store for us. God's plans for our lives blows them away. Now, here's a liberating truth that will help us invest wisely. It's this. God doesn't want you to be happy. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't necessarily want you to be unhappy. But hear me out. Is, is our happiness is just isn't God's highest desire for us in our lives. He, he didn't put us here on this earth so you could be happy and comfortable. He wants more for us than that. If if God wanted us just to be happy and comfortable, Jesus wouldn't have gone around and saying things like, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways or the Greek. You got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's not about comfort. Nor would we find in Scripture throughout its verses like we find in in Romans 12, where it says, uh, we're told us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is true worship. That doesn't sound necessarily pleasant, but it's good. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that God is some giant killjoy out there or worse, that he like delights in our suffering. That's not how he is. In fact, that's flatly not true. If it were, then God wouldn't have put so much time and effort to save us for paradise in heaven. Now, happiness is coming. Comfort is coming. But now is not the time for that. What I'm saying is that God wants so much more for us. He has made us for so much more than just to be comfortably happy here. And the reason this is a liberating truth is that once we accept it, We are finally free from from the deception that's so prevalent in our culture that our best life is supposed to be now. (laughs) Do you realize that if you are in Christ, that this world is as close as you and I will ever get to hell? Our best life had better not be now. (laughs) Can you imagine how disappointing eternity would be? (laughs) I know that my life wasn't designed to be a pleasure cruise. And we get that. It's a liberating truth. It means I have the right expectations about what this world will offer. See, because of that, I am now free from the harried pursuit of comfort and happiness that consumed the lives of so many in our culture. I'm free from the prison of seeing all of my trials as curses, as somehow God has abandoned me. And I'm free from, from the deception that all the good things in my life are, are just blessings. Then I'm free to see them as they are. See, the hard things in life and the good things in life are both the same thing. They are opportunities to live for greater things. Paul reminds us to, he says, so be truly glad. 
Arthur Peter reminds us of this, actually. He said, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Don't forget that. There's a reason why we're going to endure this life. There is wonderful joy ahead. But he says, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire test and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, God has called us to joys and pleasures far greater than this world could ever offer. So why would we waste our lives hunting for scraps of goodness on this world when we've been invited to dine with the king? When we wrap our head and our hearts around this truth that our happiness in this life isn't the goal, then we're finally able to consistently and deliberately choose God's best over our temporary good. Though this course will often cost us, it's going to cost us our comfort and our desires and our preferences. And even at times, it's going to cost us our happiness. But we will gladly pay the price because we know that the faith it produces, as the scripture says, is far more precious than gold. It's more enduring than diamonds. See, a life in a church built out of this kind of faith can endure any storm of life, any attack from the enemy. Faith like this will stand firm against depression. It can actually stand up to depression. Faith like this does not corrode or tarnish by corruption. Instead, it's going to shine as a beacon of hope and beauty in a world so desperate for stability and truth. A life and a church built out of this kind of faith, this costly faith, will withstand the fire of God's judgment. When he comes back, and as the text reminds us, the fire will show if a person's work has any value. And if the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. Remember that. Truly, faith like this will result in much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. And isn't that ultimately our goal? This then, this costly faith, it must be the substance out of which we build our future. So the question is, how do we know if our faith is costly? And the answer is very simple. We ask, what does it cost us? If your Christianity serves only to make you comfortable, then your faith is cheap. If if its primary function is to ease your mind about the hereafter, then your faith is cheap. If your attendance at church, your engagement in ministry is conditioned upon its convenience in your life. Guess what? Your faith is cheap. If we only give out of our leftovers or pray only our desires or obey God's word only when it's convenient, our faith is cheap because it costs us little. If, however, your Christianity has caused you to suffer ridicule or rejection, you know just how costly your faith is. If it propels you to live for the hereafter, You know how costly your faith is. 
If you've had to say no to certain hobbies or even pull your kids out of certain activities so you can continue to worship with the body on a regular basis, you know how costly your faith is. If you sacrifice your time regularly to serve others as an expression of God's love for you, you know how costly your faith can be. See, when you you give out of your first fruits, when you're generous even in your poverty, when you pray God's will but not yours be done, and when you obey His word even when it hurts and makes you do things that you'd prefer not to do, well, you know that faith comes at a high price. It's more precious than gold. Faith like this will result in praise and honor and glory when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Just as the substance of our foundation is solidly Jesus Christ, the substance of our church must be costly faith. And faith like this is far too rare. It cannot be manufactured and it's impossible to fake. Fortunately, it can be developed. It can be developed in anyone and potentially everyone. So if, if you currently have cheap faith, don't worry. Don't let the devil discourage you because here's another liberating truth for you. Every believer starts with cheap faith. We all do. I mean, think about it. What does it cost you to be saved? Nothing. Right? That's the point of God's grace. As as Ryan read this morning, it says God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward of the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. That saving faith is free and free is about as costless as you can get. See, God's not down on cheap faith, but neither does he want us to build our lives out of it, does he? It's where we start because it's where we need to start. (laughs) And God isn't disappointed in us because of that. It's actually how he kind of set the whole thing up to work, isn't it? It's, It's like how we enter the world as babies. Jesus used the illustration, so I feel safe in doing that. We're born again, right, into the kingdom. Now think about when you were born to your parents. As a little infant, did you pay for your hospital bill? Did you take care of buying and preparing your food and and getting all of your clothes and dressing yourself every day and doing all that? Of course not. And do you think your parents were ashamed of your freeloading? No, they were disappointed in you. They're not, you know, embarrassed that their kid had complete dependence upon them. In fact, chances are your parents probably enjoyed that time in their life. When, when they got to give you exactly everything because that's exactly what you needed. <laughs> and that's how our, it is with our Heavenly Father. He, he delights when we're born into his family to, to meet our every need. He loves that. He's not disappointed. He finds joy in, in, in providing for us by his wonderful grace. But we didn't stay a baby, did we? You grew up. And as you grew up, did you just keep that same, just costless freeloading going on in your family? Of course not. 
I mean, as you grew, you also grew in ability. And as you grew in ability, you grew in responsibility, didn't you? I mean, there was a time at which you finally had to take yourself to the bathroom. There was a time at which you had to get yourself dressed. And as you grew older, there was a time that probably you were assigned chores in your family, right? Now, you didn't do those chores to earn your place in the family. You, you didn't do the dishes so that way you could stay being a son or daughter. No, you did the dishes because you were a son or daughter. You're part of the family. Now you have responsibility, something to give. And your place in the family started to cost you something, and it was right and good. In like fashion, the more we grow in Christ, the more our faith should and will cost us. It's a good thing. In this way, our cheap faith that we, we start with by salvation is refined and it's developed into the rich, beautiful faith that is far more valuable than gold. That verse that, that uh, Ryan read at the very beginning, that salvation didn't cost us anything, right? It's a free gift of God, so no one can boast. But what did it say right after that? God did this so that we could do the good works that he prepared in advance for us. You know, there's a name for this process, this refining process where God takes our inexpensive, costless faith and, and makes it priceless. It's called discipleship. That's what it's called. Jesus talks about it briefly in Matthew 28, right after he issued that great uh, commission, right? That he says to make disciples of all kinds of people. And he says that we're going to do this by first with the go to them, obviously. And then we have to help bring them to faith. And once they're there, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And once they're there, once somebody has made that confession and now they've converted to Christ, they've changed their way of living and now they're in, in the faith. He says this, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, salvation by grace through faith is instant. It's free. But once we've been born again and baptized into the kingdom, we need to be trained how to obey Christ in all things, don't we? It doesn't come natural. Uh, notice how it says, Jesus said, teach them to obey, not tell them to obey. Right? <laughs> There's a huge difference in there, isn't there? It's a process. It takes time and effort and patience but it's going to pay off. Cheap faith will only become costly, priceless faith if we dedicate ourselves to discipleship. Therefore, if we are to build a beautiful and enduring congregation, a church in this Estes Valley, then we're going to have to enthusiastically and actively engage in discipleship. There's no other way. In short, we must learn to be disciples of Jesus. That's the first step. That's where we have to begin. This is the sum of what we must do to start. And it's the first step in our vision for the future. Be disciples of Jesus. Now, the process is not going to be easy. It's not going to be cheap. But it's not going to be quick. I'm not going to tell you that it is. <laughs> Look at the disciples in the New Testament. How Jesus took these fishermen, these tax collectors, these, these political rebels, these relative nobodies, 
and turn them into these icons of, of just faith, these, these paradigms of, of, of God's power in a human life. How did he do that? Well, it was three years for them because they got direct tutoring by Jesus. How cool would that be? But it was a process and it was hard and it cost them. So our process will not be easy. It's not like tomorrow you're going to wake up and have incredible faith. You can say, wow, my faith really has come. I've got costly, priceless faith now. But every day together we will grow. And we're going to grow more precious in God's sight. Our faith will grow more enduring, more beautiful. Next week, we're going to talk about the incredible things that this kind of faith is going to afford us the ability to do. (laughs) And it's some pretty cool stuff. And you're going to be amazed and encouraged by what the future holds for us. It holds some amazing, I mean, just incredible, mind-blowing things that we, when I first looked at, I spent some time with, with God that week, and I thought, no way. But then he showed me how. Our future holds some amazing things. We're going to talk about that next week. But until then, this week, let's test our faith. We've got to figure out where we are. What kind of faith are, are you producing in your life? Is your faith cheap and costless? Let's know that. Is your faith right now, have you, have you been refined and gone through the fire? Well, let's know that because that lets us know how you can help disciple. Check your faith. Let's see where we are because your faith needs to grow. We all need to be disciples. Now, the only way for us to do that, as I said, is to be disciples, for us to come together and to disciple each other, right? To be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see how this ties in to our foundation. So we talked about our foundation doesn't just give the stability to build this, but it also shapes the future that we're building. Our heritage in the restoration movement is all about restoring basic New Testament faith, right? It's, it's the getting that New Testament, that Acts experience as we connect with God. How did the early church grow the church? They were disciples, right? That's how Jesus started. He made disciples of Jesus. That's what we'll do. Our history in the Essence Valley, we were a church on a mission to fulfill those, those five purposes that God gave us for our church, to reach our community, to love God, right, and to love each other. How on earth do we do that? Well, discipleship is one of the five purposes, but it is the means by which all of the purposes happen. How do you minister? How do you have fellowship? How do you, how do you go and give outreach, right? How do we serve one another? It is through discipleship. The more we are discipled, the more we become like Christ, the more we will naturally fulfill our five purposes. Our heart is Jesus Christ. We are going to be disciples. We are disciples of Jesus. We're not disciples of the world. We're not disciples of some crazy new thinking. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. This will propel us exactly where we want to go. That already beats at our chest. We want to be like Christ. And our house, our very structure, pastor elders, the deacons, to the belief and the, the solid conviction that every one of us are ministers of the gospel. How are we going to fulfill that? God calls us to be disciples. We are standing on a firm foundation and we're going to build with the right materials. We will be disciples of Jesus. Now, 
if you've heard this and you say, wow, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, but maybe you haven't made that confession yet. Maybe you haven't crossed the line. Maybe you are still serving something else. This is how you become a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, first, people have to go. You have to hear the gospel. Come to faith. And once you come to faith, once you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that's that you, you are in. That's saving faith. And that faith should make you repent, change your life so you just stop living like you're your boss because you know you're not anymore. But you've got a better boss who knows what he's doing. And that's Jesus. And then he says that he wants us to be baptized, buried in the waters. So it's kind of a way of saying we've died to ourselves and now we're living for you, God. Once you do that, you are a disciple of his. And we will help you grow in your faith. If you need to make that decision, I encourage you to do that now. Or if you are a disciple and you're part of this and we're going to be building this thing, but you have burdens and troubles and you need the help of the body to help sustain you and hold you up now, that's what the family is here for. If you have a prayer request to make, we invite you to come now. Or maybe you just don't have a church family. Maybe you have, you are a disciple of Christ, but you have nowhere to build. And you need to have a church family where you can join and, 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 and build God's church. And this Estes Valley, if you need that, we're here. We welcome you. We would love to, to have you partner with us as we build this church, this congregation, for God's glory in this Estes Valley. Whatever your decision is, whatever your need is, I invite you to come now this morning as we stand, as we sing.